All right, let's take our Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter number one. Galatians chapter one, we're going to be in the book of Galatians for the next several weeks and uh, looking here as we get started this morning. Uh, I'm going to come back to the first five verses after we've read the text for the message and, uh, and pray and get started here, but we're just going to go right to verse number six. Verses six through nine really are the subject matter with which uh, I want to preach on this morning. Uh, and so Galatians chapter number one and verses six through nine, the Bible says, I marvel, the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Galatia, that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach another gospel unto you, then that, I, that ye have received, let him be accursed. I'm going to speak this morning on the thought, living in the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, we just thank you again for your word, for its potential to, Lord, transform us into the image of our Savior. If we would just understand what you've given and allow you to be God. Now, Lord, it's amazing how our lives could be joyful, meaningful, powerful uh, for your glory. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand some of these things this morning. Uh, Lord, especially some newer Christians, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand what you've done for us, what you've given us in salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul here is writing, of course, to the church at Galatia, uh, and he is looking at this area. There's uh, kind of two ways to look at Galatia. Galatia as a Roman province, or Galatia as a more restrictive uh, geographical area. The people that settled that area came down uh, and actually had made an invasion down into that area and, and had successfully taken a lot of it over. Uh, and then Rome eventually conquered and had given them a limited measure of their own autonomy. Uh, and so the, the, the most likely aspect is, is that what Paul's referring to is the Roman province. That was really the context of his world. If that's the case, then this happened on, then this church would have come about as a result of his first missionary journey. Uh, if he's talking about the more restrictive area, that it would have been in, in a subsequent journey. But I think uh, really in, in most of the most logical take on this is that he's talking about the Roman province, the way that he dealt with things in most cases. And so as he begins writing here, he says he's making the case as to his credentials. He is, he is not widely accepted among the Jews. And so he is making the case for his authority and what he has, the, the power behind what he says is it's given from God. And he says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but of Jesus Christ. And of God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so he's saying, listen, I'm not here because this is what I chose. I'm here because Jesus called me. We know Paul's conversion. We know how zealous he was for the things of God. Paul was what he's condemning here. Paul was a man who was zealous and, and very aggressive uh, in the persecuting of the church and the, the furtherance of Judaism in uh, the world at large. And to the point that Jesus comes to him and, and confronts him and says, hey, Paul, and Paul comes to him and says, Lord, and confesses Christ as a Savior, and immediately he's changed. His, his message changes. Everything about him is transformed. Um, I, that's an amazing thing. 
the, the, the speed at which Paul's life changed and the power of God ascended, descended upon him uh, is, is really breathtaking. You, you, most people take a significant period of time to learn, to grow, to develop, to mature. Paul already had the biblical knowledge. He had just had a misunderstanding about who Messiah was. And whenever Jesus confronted him, he called him. And so Paul, right there from the get-go, is called by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, his case is this. Listen, I'm here preaching to you, not because I think I'm somebody, but because God called me. And so Paul's laying out here, I am an apostle. I have seen the resurrected Christ. And the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul's just opening up, introducing the letter. Uh, it was a letter that was intended to be circulatory in nature. In other words, uh, it wasn't just for, uh, for one individual or one group. It was, it was for the churches. It was to this specific one, but it was, there's a group of cities within this region and this province to which he has gone and preached in Lystra and Derby and, and others uh, to where the gospel has taken root. And he's saying this is for the church or churches of Galatia. And so they're, they're here and he's confronting a problem that's arisen. Uh, anytime that you get people together, you're going to have problems. Uh, it doesn't matter what business, what, what type of church, what type of organization, whether uh, if people are there, uh, there's going to be issues. And so there's just going to be problems. And so he's confronting problems within the church. And their fundamental problem is the gospel. He has come and he has preached the gospel. And they have received the gospel. And he has set in order leadership within the bodies and the assemblies that are left behind and he's saying I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that so quickly you have been essentially swept off your feet and you bought into a false doctrine. Uh, you bought into a different way of thinking. You bought into a different type of gospel. Uh, and, he, and he said, and he's, he's speaking in very harsh terms here when he says, if, if someone would come and preach another gospel unto you, a distortion of the truth, then let him be accursed. Uh, and so, I mean, he's, he's, he's speaking out very strongly against them. But his real connection and concern here is the people that he's reached. And he said, I'm, 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 I marvel, I'm surprised, I'm shocked, if you will, that so soon you have moved from him that called you under the grace of Christ. You've been shown the truth of God and you received it and already because somebody came in that was a smooth talker, someone came in that was articulate, somebody came in that, that had a gospel that, that kind of, was easier for you to adapt to because there was something for you to do than you bought into it. And so what we look at this morning really is just understanding, and especially for those of you that are new to our church and you're, uh, you're, you're coming from a lot of different backgrounds, I, I want us to understand this morning the concept of salvation, of full salvation. What does it mean? Because in our mind, what we think of typically when we think of salvation is that the Lord Jesus Christ 
has, has, has given himself for my sin. I'm saved from my sins. I'm on my way to heaven. We ask that often in invitation time. We send the invitation. If you've never trusted Christ, come. We'll show you how to do that. And that's wonderful. I'm not, that, that's part of it. But that's not the end of it. And for a lot of people, that's the end of their salvation experience. The end of their salvation experience is just simply coming to realize their need of a Savior, putting their faith and trust in Christ, and, and, and receiving that eternal life. But if that's all you got, then you're missing on some wonderful, tremendous blessings in life uh, and the ability to live life to its fullest and for the cause of Christ and in, in the walking with the Lord. Say, so Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm just, I think it'll become effective or apparent as we move through the message. That is salvation. It, that, that's a, a portion of salvation. What do I mean by that? Salvation is threefold it, 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 as far as in its structure and its, and its what it brings to us. Salvation, the way that we typically talk about it is when Jesus comes and he forgives us of our sins, what has he done? He has set us free from the penalty of our sin. And so whenever that moment takes place, when I am birthed into the family of God, when I, when I exercise my faith and my trust in him and I receive the grace of God, that is the moment of my spiritual birth or the rebirth of the spirit that lies dormant within me. Uh, and so we, we speak of that in terms of regeneration, to be made alive again. Uh, and so it's the working of the spirit of God in us. What does he do? He makes that which was dead in me alive again. That spirit that died in the Garden of Eden when Eve and Adam sinned, is now made alive again. And so it's restored. I'm now restored to a three-part being as God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Now we once again are body, soul, and spirit. Uh, when we're born, we're just a body and a soul. The Spirit's there, but it's dead. Uh, and so when we trust Christ as Savior, then he, we're born again, or the Spirit in us is born. So what is that? Fundamentally, it's a change of position. We think of terms uh, and salvation in terms of an experience uh, or in terms of some emotional uh, outpouring or some. And listen, I, I, I'm not for some people, the moment that they trust Christ as their savior and they're overwhelmed by their sins, it can be a very emotional experience. I'm not knocking that. I'm saying that understand that whether or not you had an emotional experience, if you put your faith and trust in Christ and you accepted his gift of salvation that was given because of and by God's grace, then you have been forgiven from the penalty of your sin and you are born into the family of God and you are no longer someone that is outside of Christ. Now you are someone that is in Christ. Your position changed. Amen. It doesn't matter how I feel. It, it's an understanding of position. And so, so often people will struggle with, I don't feel saved. You hear that sometimes. Somebody that's really struggling. They're really going through a hard time with sin. Sin's kind of come back in and taken control of some areas of their life. And, uh, and it's, it, it, by the way, <clears throat> that is such a lie from the devil because that's true of all of us. The people that feel that way whenever they say things like that, what they're saying is, you know, Alcoholism has, has reclaimed power over my life. Or drug addiction. Or, or really severe uh, outbursts of anger and rage and things of that nature. You get my point. We think of that in terms of people that say, I don't feel saved. It's because the sin that they're dealing with is very external. It's very easy to see. It's very hard for them to deny. Uh, it's up front and in your face. 
But they're no different than the person that's sitting in here and in here all day. It's the same problem. It's a sin problem. The reality is, is that, that somebody that looks pristine on the outside, they look like they are walking with God and their life is a picture of what a Christian life should be on the outside, could be far more corrupt uh, on the inside than that guy that has an occasional relapse into drugs or alcohol. What I'm saying is that, Pastor, that's blasphemy. No, it's reality. We, we kind of live in this self-righteous world where we think that because you can't see my sin, that my sin's not as big as your sin, and that's just not true. Sin is sin. Uh, and when I understand the concept of what I'm dealing with, listen, Pastor, are there times that you don't feel saved? Well, in an emotional sense, yeah, sin's kind of got a rain on me, and I'm struggling with anger, I'm struggling with bitterness, I'm struggling with uh, something that maybe that you can't see easily, then it's kind of set in, and I may not feel like I've got a lot of joy on a particular moment or in a particular day, or like I'm, uh, I'm on top of things in my spiritual life, and I can mask and hide it pretty well, but I'm still carrying the burden and the weight of that. Uh, do you feel saved? Well, not particularly, but I know I am. Because whether I'm saved or not has nothing to do with how I feel. It has to do with my position in Christ. And so, it, and it's an amazing thing. What we deal with when we talk about this terms in the first essence or step of salvation is that I come to the place where I recognize that I'm a sinner, that, I have, uh, that I've got to pay the penalty for my sin, but I cannot pay the penalty for my sin. The price is too high. I can, I can never pay that. I can never come up with uh, anything that's sufficient. It doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how much help I have. I'll always fall short because I'm not comparing myself to you or to somebody else or to somebody across town or to someone in another country. My comparison is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is perfection. I can never measure up to that standard. And that's the point of the law. That's why Jesus, that's why God gave us the law. It is our schoolmaster to prove to us that however good we are, it's not good enough. Amen. That however much you change your life, no matter how much discipline you have, it's simply not enough. But when I receive Christ and he forgives me for that sin, we'll say, Pastor, what about the sin that I commit tomorrow? What about the sin that I'm going to commit 10 years from now? Listen, the sin, when Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid for the sins of mankind. He paid for every sin of every man, past, present, and future, whether they received the gift of salvation or not. Every soul that spends an eternity in the lake of fire will do so having had every sin that they ever committed paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. They simply did not put their faith and trust in him and accept the payment. They denied or they refused the, uh, the gift. But he, he paid for the gift. The gift is bought. Uh, and so uh, he's, he's given himself. And so when I come to understand that I'm saved from the judgment of my sin, then I have to understand that the next part of salvation is sanctification. Now we tend to think of sanctification. Sanctification just means to be set apart. Uh, and it, it means in our minds, uh, in, in kind of our church world and church way of thinking, it means that my life is changing. And so I don't, I don't do the things now that I did before I trusted Christ as Savior. So now I'm more sanctified than I was before. But the truth is, is that sanctification is also a position. Do you understand that when God looks at you, he does not see the state that you're in. He sees your position of sanctification in Christ. You are sanctified 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're as, as good as is in heaven. That doesn't mean that, that, that God doesn't deal with our sin, or that I, our sin on a daily basis doesn't have an effect on our relationship with God, but it does not have anything to do with when a day I stand before Christ in judgment, whether I'm, uh, am I, am I going to stand there and he's going to say, well, you're, you're, you're saved, you're, you're allowed to be here, but you're not sanctified. No, I'm sanctified. I, I'm his. I'm fully his. I'm all his. Sanctification really has to do with the process of maturity. And we stop and we think about, I think we misteach this a lot, or we have been guilty of this over the years, and uh, in, in exerting uh, a sanctified lifestyle or a holy lifestyle as a measure of whether or not I'm a godly or an ungodly person. And so we create this false narrative and this false picture of, uh, you know, this person that has, has been, been in church for 20 years or 30 years and they know how to say all the right words and they know how to do all the right things and they know how to carry themselves and they know how to talk around this problem or talk around that problem or dodge this issue or dodge so that they don't look bad. We would look at that person on the outside and say, yeah, that person is uh, a godly person. They're, they're sanctified. They're, they're, they're walking in Christ. They might be. But just because they got it all together out here doesn't mean that it's all together in here. And we need to understand that what we're talking about when we talk about biblical sanctification is the process of maturity. Sonia and I have four children. We have six grandchildren. Uh, and so that, that's getting to be a difficult number to keep track of how many there actually are at this point. Uh, but uh, the blessings. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we look at that little baby, our daughter Houston, our daughter-in-law in Houston sent us pictures of the four grandkids there this morning and, and all dressed up for church and ready to go and, uh, and, and they're at different stages so they're about to have birthdays in a couple of weeks and so Jules and Brooklyn will turn seven and five. Uh, and then, uh, and then Witten is three, and or will be three in May, and uh, and then the new baby is about three or four months old, and uh, and so they're all dressed and they're all ready to go, and they're all at different stages. I can I can have a uh, a relatively intelligent conversation with with Julianne, who will be seven in a couple of weeks, uh, and relative to a conversation that I can have with her two and a half year old brother, I can have a a, a coherent intelligent conversation with her compared to her couple three month old baby sister Gabrielle. Gabby can't talk. She can't say anything. She just fuss and cry. And so different stages of maturity. But believe it or not they're all actually human beings. They're not partially human. I wonder about that sometimes. But uh, but uh, but but they're completely human. When they turn 20 or 25 or 30, they're not suddenly going to become more of a person than they are now. They're not suddenly going to become more human than they are now. They, they are as human as they'll ever be right now in their infancy. But we don't think about our Christian lives that way. We don't think about our Christian lives as being I, am as, I have as much of the Lord Jesus Christ as I'll ever have. And he has as much of me as, I'll, as he'll ever have. But I'm not necessarily as mature as I will ever be. That's good. And so it's just, I, I understand this morning 
that what I'm presenting to us, especially those of us that have been in church for a really long time, that this is a fine line. But that fine line is the difference in people walking around with a judgmental legalistic mindset as opposed to walking around with the grace and mercy of God ruling and reigning in their heart. To live a life in which the Father is pleased, in which God can empower and bless us as opposed to God sit back and say, you're just a harsh, judgmental, self-righteous person that I can't use. Salvation is wonderful because Jesus set us free from the penalty of our sin. The moment that I put my trust in Jesus Christ and the spirit of me was made alive again, I never ever have to worry again about whether or not I'm going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Amen. But pastor, what if I commit this sin and what if I commit that sin? You know the problem with that mindset is nobody can ever tell you which is the sin that pushes you over the edge. You have a conversation with somebody that, that has a hard time, they're, they're trying, but they have a hard time understanding that concept because it's like, then pastor, you mean if I, uh, if I do this thing that's really bad, like if I, if I kill somebody, I can still go to heaven? Well, tell me where's the difference between the person that tells the white lie and the person that commits the heinous crime. Where in between that is the instant when you go over the edge and Jesus revokes your salvation. See, salvation is a gift from God to every sinner that will receive the gift. And my position then, Pedro, is that I'm birthed into the family of God. I can damage my relationship with him in the sense of his blessing and his being pleased with me, but I cannot make myself be unborn. I'm born again. I'm born in the family of God. Now, and there's a process of maturity that takes place. Now, we're going to deal with that a little bit more here uh, in just a moment because there's a verse in Galatians that, that a lot of people like to cling to to say, see, uh, God took away salvation. Now, he didn't. Just understand the context. Sanctification is the progressive work of God in my life that is transforming me into the image of Christ. It's a process of transformation. I think originally I had written, we, we turn to things of, of being molded into the image of Christ. And that is a, that's, a, that's a dangerous and a bad term. No one should be molded into the image of Christ. We all should be transformed into the image of Christ. Okay. It's part of the problem in our churches is that we've lived for decades of the mantra uh, is that we're going to mold somebody into our image. We're going to mold, we're going to send somebody through discipleship so they're molded into the image of Christ. No, salvation and discipleship and loving God is not about being molded to conform into an image. It is about allowing the spirit of God to fundamentally transform who we are from the inside out. I don't want to be different because I'm trying to please you or because I'm trying to please anybody. I want to change because God changed who I am. I can, I can look changed and not be changed, but I cannot be changed and not look changed. Amen. And so I need to come to the understanding that when we talk about salvation, that Jesus Christ set us free from the penalty of our sin, but in sanctification, he sets us free from the power of that sin. Understand this morning that if you are living a life as a Christian in which sin has overtaken and is wreaking havoc of your life, that it's only doing so because you're allowing it to. 
that God has given you in Christ the power to live free of the power of sin. You've been freed from the penalty. Why will we not let him free us from the power? He's given us a way to overcome, to escape, to, to grow in his grace. I, I don't want to live my life frustrated because I can never measure up to the standard. I want to live my life understanding that if Jesus Christ changes fundamentally who I am, then the process of that, what he's doing is he's changing me. I don't have to act different because I am different. Sin no longer has the power unless we let it. The third part of salvation is glorification. Glorification is what we think about when we come into the presence of Christ and he transforms this old broken down physical body into a glorified body like as is his. That's the moment of glorification. We, we will not be glorified in this life. We'll be glorified when we're ushered into the presence of Christ when we die. And so that's all part of salvation. So when we talk about salvation, it's not just about, hey, I'm on my way to heaven. I don't have to worry about uh, dying and being in the lake of fire forever separated from God. That's true and that's wonderful, but that's only part of it. You also can live a life free from sin's power. That's part of the salvation gift that Jesus Christ has given us uh, when, whenever he's made it available to us. And to be glorified, uh, it's, it, listen, salvation is an instantaneous act in which the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God resurrect a spirit within us and birth us into the family of God. Glorification is an instantaneous act in which when we die, then we're ushered into the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're brought into his presence in a glorified state. Uh, we are freed then from the effects of our sin. But in the meantime, we need to be growing to maturity. That's a progressive work. That's a slower process and it's a development. And because of that, we have the Holy Spirit that's indwelling us and teaching us and growing us. And we have the Word of God so that we can understand who God is. And we have a church family and brothers and sisters in Christ to edify us and to encourage us and to hold us accountable and to, uh, when necessary, rebuke and when at other times to lift up. All of that. Why? So that we can be on a journey together, not where we're judging one another, but we're living through the process of maturity. Listen, we come to our small children and we correct their action when it's wrong, not because we want to be unkind or because we want to be cruel or because we want to be mean, but because we want to help them to mature. It's a process of maturity. The Christian life by the way, this morning, saying, Pastor, I've been, I've been saved for a while now, and I've been trying to live the Christian life, and it's just, it's hard. It's not hard. It's impossible. It is. It's really simple to understand, but it's impossible to live. If you want to try, if I want to try to go out and live a Christian life and measure up to everything that God tells me about himself in the Bible, and I try to do that in my own strength, I will never, ever achieve that. I'll never have peace. I'll never feel satisfied. I'll never feel worth and value. I'll always feel like a failure. Listen, that is not what Jesus wants you to feel when you become his child. The difference is simply understanding that I can no more live the Christian life than I can become a Christian in the first place on my own. That just as Jesus Christ 
is the only one that can save my soul, that there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved, that same Christ must live within me in order for me to live the Christian life. It is me coming to the place uh, where I understand my position in Christ. So we're going to look this morning at that salvation. Uh, and number one this morning, if you're keeping notes here, we are saved by grace through faith. What is this process? How does it happen? Well, we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter number 2 uh, and verses 8 and 9. And most everybody in here can quote those verses when, uh, when he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot work your way to heaven. Yeah. Pastor, but don't I have to come to church? No. Should I come to church? Yes. But does coming to church have anything to do with my salvation? Not at all. Does salvation have anything to do with my being baptized? Taking communion? Making visits? Encouraging people? Not one bit. Why? Because if it did, then it would be about what you could do. Amen. And it's not about what we can do. It's about what he's done. Amen. And we have to understand that salvation is a gift from God that has been given by his grace. But we access that gift through our faith. We cannot tap into it minus faith. I like to think of, if you've been here a while, you've heard me use this illustration before, I think it's easy for us to understand. Whether the switches are on or not, there's electricity in these wires. Or at least at the source, the switch. The, there's, there's power available. The outlets are probably a better example than the, than the switches. If I were to take uh, an electric device and plug it into the outlet over here, as long as that breaker's turned on, I've instantly got power. But whether I do or not, the power's there. The grace of God is here. The grace of God is available to everyone that would receive it. The grace of God is around us, it surrounds us, it's available to us, but until our faith plugs us into the wall, we don't have any access to it. It's there, we need access. How do I get access? Put my faith and trust in Christ. God's grace has provided the gift, but my faith accepts the gift. God's grace provides full salvation. What we've been talking about this morning, whenever Jesus Christ became your Savior, what he provided to you was not just freedom from the penalty of your sin, but also from the power of your sin and from the effects of our sin. You know I'm bald-headed this morning? Sin. You know why I'm sore and achy? Sin. You know why some of you have serious disease this morning? Sin. You know we get colds and COVID and all the other stuff that we get? Sin. It's, a, it's the part of the curse of sin on the earth. We're here. We're suffering from the effects of sin. And the effects of that sin are going to, at some point, unless the Lord returns, it's going to take our life. And at some point, this body will cease to breathe. And this heart will cease to beat. And the little bit of brain activity that goes on up here will cease to, to, to happen. Why? Because those are the effects of sin. But whenever that happens and I'm brought into the presence of Christ, 
I'm brought in a glorified state with a glorified body. I'll, when I get to heaven, I'll have hair again. When I get to heaven, I'll be skinny again. When I get to heaven, my, my joints won't ache. When I get to heaven, my knees won't hurt. When I get to heaven, my back won't draw up and get tight. Whenever I get to heaven, all of those things will just be settled. Why? Because I will be set free from the effects of sin on this body. That's salvation. It is freedom from sin's penalty, yes, and praise God for that. But it's also freedom from sin's power. You don't have to live crushed under the weight of your sin. I don't have to live defeated by my sin. I don't have to live uh, with a bitter spirit, an angry spirit, a mean spirit. I don't have to live uh, with, a, with a corrupt mind, with a, with a, uh, you know, a, a, a way of being. That's, uh, I don't have to live in immorality or impurity or this, that, or the other. I don't have to be dominated by drugs or alcohol. I don't have to be dominated by all of this. Just whatever sin you struggle with, plug it in right there. And understand that when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior... The power to be set free from that is yours. It's available to you. How do I, how, wow, that's transformational. It can be. When I understand what Jesus has made available to me, and I come to understand that God's grace provides me full salvation. It's not partial. I got them all. Man's faith turns from self to God to access full salvation. What are we talking about here? We're talking about turning from dependence upon self to dependence upon God. What we're talking about here is that Jesus is doing for the sinner what the sinner cannot do for himself. It's 0% me and it's 100% God to be saved and it's 0% me and it's 100% God to live the Christian life and to be maturing by his grace and to be developing in my walk with him. Say, so, Pastor, what does that have to do with our text this morning? What that has to do with our text this morning is simply this. He is rebuking them because they have departed already from this gospel. The gospel that I just shared with you is the gospel that the Apostle Paul shared with them. And they've already turned from it. They've already tried to mingle uh, the effects of sin. So what is the problem? Well, the problem primarily at the church of Galatia is this that these teachers have come in and they're teaching that obedience to the law mingled with faith was the ground for the sinner's justification that the way that you're justified or the way that you're saved the way that you get set free from sin's penalty is to live a justified life they're, they're taking the law and they're trying to add Jesus to it so they're saying okay your good works plus Jesus give you freedom from sin but that's not what Paul taught them. That's the problem. They've come in and they've distorted it. They've come in and they've twisted it. They're teaching that the justified believer is sanctified by keeping the law. Now most churches like ours have got that first part right. But most churches like ours have that second part wrong. Because we, we teach that. You, if you've been in an independent Baptist church at all in your life, you have been taught at some point, that you are justified or sanctified by keeping the law. How do you know, Pastor? Because I've been in one since I was a teenager. I've pastored one for the last 20 years. And God's used it in a great way in my life at times. In spite of the misunderstanding of this truth. I'm not saying that it's been in every case taught maliciously. 
I believe it's been taught a lot of times with well-meaning. But the reality is, is that this fine line that we're talking about is coming to the place of understanding that what, what changes in my life changes because he changed me in here first. It is impossible to be changed in here and to not change out here. But I can change out here all day long and nothing change in here. And we need to understand that Jesus has made it possible for us to live in that freedom. And the problem at the church at Galatia and the churches of Galatia is that they have been listening to people that are telling them, you must do this plus Jesus to be saved. And you must do this plus the law in order to please God and to be sanctified. And that's not salvation. We are sanctified by grace through faith. And then secondly, we are sanctified by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. We're sanctified by grace through faith. What is the process then, Pastor, of my life, change, life changing? It's the same process of trusting Jesus as my Savior. It is realizing that there's not anything in my own power and strength that I could ever do that would measure up. Now listen, we can turn over a new leaf. We can, we can be disciplined. We can have high character. And we can change a lot of things just so that the people around us are pleased. And so that we think that we're pleasing God. But if I'm not trusting God, I'm not pleasing God. I'm going to read a book over the last couple of weeks. And it has to do with, that, that's really in the first chapter. That's kind of the premise where it's saying, okay, you have to choose between pleasing God or trusting God. What do you choose? Seems like a pretty impossible choice, right? Do you realize that I can live a very frustrated life trying to please God? But I can please God by trusting Him. The, the right choice is to trust Him. Why? Because if I trust him, listen, I'm not knocking whenever I come to a fork in the road and I'm trusting God and then there's a couple of options to ask which one would be more pleasing to him that Jesus said, I do always that which pleases my father. But what's the motive? What's the driving force? Listen, I can, I can live a very, very frustrated Christian life trying to please God and trying to please church members and trying to please measure the expectations that everybody has for their pastor or for a Christian or that the pastor has for a church member and God not be pleased. But I can trust God. And if I trust God, then I'm pleasing God. And so understand that sanctification by grace through faith just simply means that that sanctification, the process of becoming set apart for God or maturing spiritually is the act of God in my life. It is not my act in my life of godliness. Two thoughts about this and we'll move on this morning. God's grace, first of all, provides full sanctification. It is the act of God. God does it in you. Does that mean, Pastor, that the moment that I'm saved that I'm a fully mature Christian? No, no more than a brand new baby is a fully matured adult. But you're a completely Christian. Just like a baby's a full human being, a Christian is fully Christian. And he says God's grace provides full sanctification. Then man's faith turns from self to God to access full sanctification. Now, here's the Galatian problem. Let me come back to Galatia. The Galatian problem is that they are perverting sanctification. They perverted salvation, now they're perverting sanctification. And Paul's trying to deal with that. Well, what is their great, 
What is their great perversion here? And the, 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 to, just to put it in a nutshell, it is the default setting of humanity. It's self-reliance. It's being self-dependent. I cannot do it on my own. The Galatian problem is that a perverted sanctification has brought them a, a judgmental, harsh environment in which God cannot work in life. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 says, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now understand, because a lot of people will take and say, Pastor, you're fallen from grace. That means you're not saved. This isn't written to lost people. This is written to save people. And nowhere here does he say that your salvation, as far as your forgiveness of your sins, penalty is taken away. Here's, let me help you understand what he's talking about here in its context. I'm saved by grace. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He extends his grace to me. He shows me mercy. He gives me salvation. I have eternal life. I am his child. I have been born into his family. And it is a positional thing that cannot change and be amended. I'm his. I can live my life, Brother Bo, in my own strength and be frustrated. Or in his strength and enjoy the liberty that he's given me to have power over my sin. So when he says here, you have tried to do this on your own. And you frustrated the, the, the grace of God. And you are fallen from grace. What he's saying is you simply stop trying to live the Christian life by my grace and in my power. And you've fallen out of that. And you've fallen back to a state where you're trying to do it on your own without me. Where I've come to a point where I, I, I want to be sanctified. I want God to be pleased. I want to be mature. I want to be growing. I want to be developing. And I'm yielded to God. And I'm letting the Spirit of God work in my life. And I'm letting the Spirit of God develop and change me and transform me from the inside out. And everything is going great until some, somebody comes in and convinces me that I've got to do this, 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 and this or God won't be pleased. And when I start trying to do that, what Paul is saying is, listen, you've listened to them and now you've frustrated the grace of God because that's not the way that God wanted you to live the Christian life in the first place. And you've fallen from his grace in the sense that you're now trying to do it in your own strength and you can't. It's impossible. And I wonder how many of us have lived for decades in our churches and have lived very frustrated lives because we simply have tried to live our life in a life that pleases God in our own strength and power when it's impossible. It's only possible. When I remove myself completely from the equation and say, Father, there's nothing that I can do but trust you. Amen. And Paul's looking at them and he's saying, why can you understand this about receiving forgiveness from the penalty of your sin? But you can't grasp this to receive freedom from the power of that sin in your life every day. He wants us to have liberty. He wants us to be free from the power of that sin. He wants us to be able to live a life that's filled with joy and that's meaningful and that's fulfilling and that's productive. Christ has become of no effect unto you, he says. Whosoever of you are justified by the law. When you start thinking 
that your godliness is dependent upon or based upon your keeping of uh, the, the laws and, and all of these things. When you think that that's the source of your justification. When you think that's the source uh, of how it is that you're going to be deemed godly, you have fallen from God's grace and you're trying to do it on your own again. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3, he said, This only would I learn of you, or this is the only thing about you that I'm concerned about right now, is what he's saying. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having been, having, uh, having been born in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You, you've been born in the Spirit. Do you think now somehow your flesh is going to mature you? And we look at that and we read through it casually in our devotions and we miss the point. We just don't, it doesn't register because of the way that we've been conditioned to think about justification and sanctification and understanding fully what the salvation is that Christ has given us. And Paul's just saying, listen, you need to depend just as much on the Lord Jesus Christ to help you live a productive life and a mature life in Christ as you did to save you in the first place. It's not about you. It's not about your power, your discipline, your strength, your determination. It's about your yieldedness to a God in heaven that loves you and has power and strength that you do not have. We're sanctified by grace through faith. Man's default position is self-reliance. Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 says flesh, uh, flesh essentially this, fleshly living puts, under, puts us under a curse, but the just shall live by faith. If I'm not, listen, if I'm not living by faith, then I'm not living the life that God would have me to live. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 5, he comes out and says, listen, it's through the Spirit. Wait on Him. Depend upon Him. Don't believe the false gospel. Don't live under bondage. It is the hope of righteousness, the gospel, liberty in Christ. Stand fast in liberty. In Galatians chapter 5 uh, in verse 5, as he articulates that, he says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And in verse 11, he says, uh, he comes back, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. He says, it's not about keeping your Judaistic laws. It's not about measuring up to man's expectation and standard. It's about letting the Spirit of God mature you in Christ, in your heart and in your life. Chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We want freedom from our sin, and then we get doing pretty good, and we have a good week, and all of a sudden we want to embrace that yoke and put it back upon us again. consider this morning that we are saved by grace through faith, that we are sanctified by grace through faith, and thirdly and finally that we are glorified by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse number 10, he comes back and he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, I'm not preaching to you this morning that, that living a life that's pleasing to God, that's pure from the sin of this world, that, that that's wrong. I'm saying you can't do it on your own strength. We are the workmanship of Christ. What have we been ordained to or preordained to or predestined to? Good works. Predestination, and that term's used in the Bible, is never about our, our being saved. It's about what we're supposed to become after we are saved. 
once I've trusted Christ, then God has ordained that I would be his workmanship. That he would be working in me, glorified by Christ. In other words, the Christian life, as much as salvation is 0% me and 100% God, the Christian life is 0% me and 100% God. And to the degree that I try to do it on my own, I frustrate the gospel of Christ. Salvation and Christian living, doing what God says with no dependence whatsoever upon myself and complete and full dependence upon God. Him doing in us what we cannot do on our own. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. I cannot do it. He has to do it. And I can choose to live in frustration or I can choose to live trusting him. When he saved me, he saved me from the penalty of my sin in a moment. He spends the rest of my life saving me from the power of that sin. If I'll let him. I must walk in him for continual saving from sin's power. In other words, I just need to stay close to the Lord. I need to not shut him out. I need to not try to do it on my own. Listen, if I want to do it on my own, he'll let me. Say, so, Pastor, why would he do that? Every parent does that. You get with somebody, uh, with your child, that you're trying to teach something, and they won't listen, and they won't receive instruction, and they think that they've got it figured out, and they know. And it's really kind of comical when they're like, three? And then the older they get, the more heartbreaking it becomes. And you're just trying to like, okay, let me show you. But I already know. But you need to do it this way. No, I want to do it this way. My little three-year-old grandson that's at our, that, that lives our house, uh, he loves his building blocks. And he loves for me to build a tower that's like twice as tall as he is. And he loves for me to build some kind of a fort. But I have learned that I can't build it if he's there. He'll play with it for days. He, he'll, I mean, you, I build him a tower that's this tall out of his blocks and, uh, and it, it takes me about 15 minutes and I'll build him a tower that's about this tall and he'll come out and be like, wow, Pop, that's awesome. And he'll like, you try to tear that tower down if somebody knocks it over, I mean, that's like, like somebody dropped an atomic bomb. It's bad. He loves it. But I can't build it if he's there. Because he, he can't understand the concept that you have to have a strong base and you have to get a little more narrow as you go up. And you can put a little frills and little trinkets and little funny shapes along the way to make it look cool, but they really don't have anything to do with the integrity of the structure. It just, it's just there for frills. He doesn't understand it. You know, we live the Christian life that way a lot of times. God's trying to teach us something. I tried to build something with him and just like get him involved, try to do it. And he was like, no, no. And he's just plugging his stuff in there. We didn't get very far. You know why? Because finally I was just like, okay, you know how to do it. Just step back, I'll let you do it. You know, God does that with us sometimes. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to grow you. I'm trying to strengthen you. I'm trying to give you freedom from this. Oh, that's okay, God. I got it. Okay. He's still there. He didn't leave. He's just standing there waiting patiently for us to make a mess out of ourselves. So he can fix it. So he can correct it. So that he can help us. Why is it that we're so determined to do it on our own? Why is it that we're so stubborn and so bent on it's all right, God, I got this. 
and we find ourselves crushed under the burden and the yoke of that sin and its power. And he's right there. And all I got to do is say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't handle this. He said, I know. Let me take it from you. Will you trust me? Will you put it in my hand? Will you let me be God? Will, it, will you let me heal you? Will you let me strengthen you? Will you let me teach you? Will you let me be all that I aim to be for you when I saved your soul? Will you accept from me full salvation? Listen, Jesus will set us at liberty from the power of sin. And if we'll let the Holy Spirit have liberty within our hearts and our lives, teach us how we can live lives that are filled with joy, power, meaning. Not meaning temporal, meaningful in a way that's going to expire in a couple of weeks or a couple months, but eternal meaning where your life is being used by God to make a difference in the life of someone else. We yield so freely to our lips, but King so stubbornly to control or with our lips. But we, we, we cling to that control within our hearts. Listen, this isn't the time to just say, okay, I'm going to yield to God. All right, God, I'm yielding to you. And then God comes along and he says, okay, you yielded to me. This is what I want you to do next. And we say, oh, wait, let's... I didn't mean that. But do I trust him? But, but God, Pastor, I don't, I don't understand what he's doing. Do you trust him? We had a couple people had surgery this week. <laughs> Knee replacement, hip replacement, big deals, but not in and of themselves like threatening deals. You know, and for 20 years plus, I've been going to hospitals with people and helping them pray with them, do things like that, things like that. I have yet to meet the person that just looked at the doctor and said, you know what? I don't trust you. I think I'll do the surgery myself. Let me replace my own knee. Let me replace my own head. But we do it all the time with God. Let God be God. He gave us salvation. You are free this morning, praise the Lord, if you've trusted Jesus your Savior from the penalty of sin. You never have to worry about whether or not you're going to be separated from God in eternity. The penalty of sin has been paid in full, and it has nothing to do with how you live, what you do, where you go. It's did I put my trust in him? Did I receive the gift? But will you come into his presence crushed under the power of sin because you wouldn't let him be God in your life? Whether I do or not, and this is how great, wonderful, and merciful God is. If I choose to live my whole life making a mess out of it, someday I'm going to be brought into his presence in a glorified state. And in spite of all of my sin and failure, he's going to say, welcome home. Let me give you healing from the effects of your sin. And let me wipe away all the tears from your eyes. And let me eradicate all the hurt. The, the things that you're so bitter about that you couldn't forgive. The things you're so angry about that you couldn't get past. The things that you couldn't let go. The things that defeated you. Let me just erase that from your memory. You can't deal with it. But I can. 
and now we're in a glorified state with God. Listen, salvation is not just, I don't have to worry about going to hell. It's the power to live a life that matters. And it's the realization that I'll come before God for eternity and fellowship with him and be in his presence forever. Full salvation, do you have it this morning? Have you ever put your faith and trust in him? Have you received him as your savior? Have you accepted forgiveness for your sins? If you haven't, today would be a wonderful day to make that decision. The Holy Spirit's convicting your heart and drawing you and telling you you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. Don't deny him. Don't reject him. Don't put him off. Just come. But how about you that have already trusted him as your Savior? And you're living a crushed, defeated life. You're frustrated because you just can't do it. Would you realize this morning that the life that I have I, it's not that I can't do it because I'm a failure. It's that I can't do it because it can't be done. I can't do it. But he can do it. And if I'll back up and trust him and let him do it in my life, he'll change me and he'll mature me. And my life can be something, become, become something beautiful for the glory of my God. Will we, will we accept him that way this morning?